Today's episode of Future Says is proudly sponsored by Oracle. Oracle offers integrated suites of applications plus secure autonomous infrastructure in the Oracle Cloud. For more information, check out www.oracle.com. On today's episode of Future Says, we have Johan Kohli. He's the co-founder and head of innovation at Accurate Consulting. Johan is a serial inventor with over 60 patents and 30 plus years experience in information security and cloud computing. Johan is currently focusing on AI strategy and compliance within the automotive sector, taking technology ideas from initial sketch to working prototype. Welcome to Future Says. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So Johan, will you tell the audience firstly, just a little about your career transition and your role today as partner at Accurate Consultant? I started out in studying computer science and uh, have been doing a lot of datacom and telecoms work. Uh, so been working for Ericsson for 17 years. And uh, at the, the last years around Ericsson, I was involved a lot within uh, innovation and, and patents. So I'm a, a serial patents holder and also made it into my sort of personal sport to uh, make other developers uh, become uh, patent holders and uh, in inventors as well. So uh, uh, also a few years uh, before I, I started Accurate Consulting, uh, I was working with GDPR as a data protections officer for, for a federation of uh, 12 insurance companies. Uh, so I've been doing some regulation work uh, as well, but I'm a sort of a tech ground uh, or tech guy in, in my background. Uh, have also been doing some work within uh, Swedish uh, authorities uh, uh, when it comes to information security and classification of information. So I'm, I'm really, I'm re- really interested in, in data security and information security and how you value and see information, which is extremely interesting uh, when, when you think about uh, artificial intelligence as well. Yeah. And, and so tell us a little bit about Accurate Consulting then. What are the sorts of projects you get involved in? Uh, I'm, my role at Accurate Consulting is uh, I'm one of the, the co-founders and my role is uh, head of innovation and digitalization. So uh, I've been been working a lot with helping companies uh, to, to sort of enable digitalization and working with, with strategies and how to, to build, uh, build communities and a way forward to, uh, to actually make use of the, uh, of the upcoming technologies as well. So right now I'm working with a big company within the automotive sector uh, doing uh, strategy work and also working as the bridge over to the uh, to their compliance side to, to try to uh, both develop artificial intelligence tools uh, for internal and actually in some cases external use as well uh, and also making sure that we build solutions that are ethically uh, defensible and also will adhere to the upcoming standards of uh, Artificial Intelligence Act uh, that the yeah. European Union is outlining right now. Yeah, of course, you don't need to, to mention any of the clients you're working with at Accurate, Johan, but you mentioned automotive. Can you talk a little bit about um, some of the best applications for artificial intelligence, data science within that sort of sector? What do you see happening most? This company manufactures uh, a lot of components and products that go into 
many different uh, sort of well-known cars that that you probably have heard about. And the one of the most important parts is, of course, maintaining quality and and making sure that everything runs secure and and uh, of course manufacturing may, is made as as fast as possible and as safe as possible and and so so the the, the company is is actively trying to build uh, or is actively building uh, tools to to monitor quality uh, like using computer vision for instance to to um, to do component analysis uh, and also building tools to analyze data sets of, of different kinds. So it could be for predictive maintenance of machines. Um, and actually the, the late uh, kind of a trend and, and things that I, th- I think might become more popular is actually building AI tools into mobile applications. Uh, so you can have have it uh, use it like a handheld tool. So an operator working on a manufacturing line can use uh, uh, the the mobile app uh, and do uh, AI analysis of, for instance, it could be components or fabrics or or different uh, sort of things, depending on the what 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 kind of plant and manufacturing line uh, it is. Yeah. And so you mentioned, Johan, that your background initially was more in computer science, and now you're speaking about maintenance, you're speaking about quality, you're speaking about kind of engineering-based applications. Um, what do you see as the makeup of an AI team within uh, an automotive company or within any sort of industry you're working in? Is it largely data scientists now, or is it a mix between data science and domain experts? Uh, I'm I'm a strong believer in in mixed teams when it comes to uh, to to these kinds of applications or actually all applications. I mean, uh, thinking back of my my sort of years working very actively with innovation, for instance, the the sort of the magic mix is really to to try to have subject matter experts uh, from the different areas that that you would like to work in and. And then it could be IT persons or developers or, or uh, I mean, in, in the AI side, it's data scientists um, and, and sort of creating a team. It could be a, a sort of a permanent team or, or a temporary team, depending on what, what kind of solution you try to find. And, and as, I mean, coming from the tech side, it's super important to, to get the, the reason why you do this. I mean, um, what what is the business case? What's the win for for this manufacturing line, or or uh, what is the win for 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 the company as a whole? I mean, why why do you do this? And from the data science side, it could be sort of okay. We we have this data set, or we have this way of attacking the problem. Um, can we find alternative ways? And I guess that's where uh, techniques like change management, Johan, come into play. You mentioned already building sort of AI communities. Yeah. Um, are they techniques that, that you run as well? Yeah, actually, that that's the, the whole thing. I mean, it, within the company, we're a very small team. And uh, so we're uh, around uh, 10 persons uh, at, at this sort of center of excellence of artificial intelligence. But but the company is, uh, is uh, I mean, 20 plus countries and uh, sort of many tens of thousands of employees. So, 
I mean, since we're such a small team and we, we're supposed to service the, I mean, the whole organization with uh, AI tools and, and solutions and, and thinking, the, the only way of doing this is to build communities. So uh, the, the way we've done it, uh, it's actually based on, on the work I, I did as um, uh, working as a data protections officer earlier. It, it, it's just to sort of invite everybody that, that you know are interested within the area. So we, we have a very sort of informal network, uh, but we have a regular schedule. So maybe sort of bi-weekly or monthly, we, we meet up. And initially we, we started out with just a handful of people. And uh, at first we, we presented some work that we did. Uh, and then uh, after um, <laughs> after the, the first few meetings, we, we started to encourage other um, other sort of AI champions around the around the company to present some of the works that they did uh, because we didn't have the intention of pulling everything centrally but we would like to support them uh, as much as possible so we could be like a sounding board bouncing ideas off each other uh, in some cases we, we got involved as data scientists developing parts of their tools and in many cases when when the community had grown it's like well, I mean, the, these guys over in this end of the world, in, in Asia here, they're working on this problem, the same problem as, as you work in South America over here. Maybe you should speak to each other and, and sort of create something together. And since this company is, um, is working uh, according to Lean, uh, the, the whole sort of thinking of, of uh, Yokoten is super important. So taking one solution from from one site and if needed, modifying it slightly to, to be able to use it on another site. This sort of uh, is something that goes through the whole company. And I, I think that it has been very successful and it's actually a great drive to to make the community work because pe- people are, are used to looking at problems and seeing ways to improve it. And also they, they are not afraid of of uh, using ideas from other parts of the company uh, across the globe as well. So that, that helps a lot. So the, the whole lean thinking um, yeah. uh, mixed into it, yeah. You also mentioned Johan AI champions, and I think that's really important in every walk of life is to identify your champions and, and keep them as, as your closest confidants. So did they offer themselves up? Was that easy to say, oh, this person's gonna be a champion for our extended center of excellence? Or did you have difficulty in finding them? And if so, would you have advice for other companies that know we need an AI champion? We need a number of them, but we're struggling to locate them. So we, we, we took a super simple approach to this. So, so you're, you're happy to steal this idea as well. Um, so we, we, we knew about a few of the ideas. I mean, in this, ex, uh, in this case, we, we knew about uh, a small team or, or a few persons in, in China in, the, in this example that that worked on a, on a specific problem. And they, they were doing some, some really, really brilliant work. Uh, and we, uh, and within an area that, that we d- didn't have the skills t- to do ourselves as well, but they, it, it involved a lot of AI. So we understood the analysis part, but they also had a lot of hardware uh, parts that, w- that we didn't cover ourselves. So we, we offered them to, uh, to sort of um, jump on a meeting, sort of very informally, just come here, 
make a few slides, show what you're doing, because we're super interested in this. And uh, within the meeting, we, we said that if you know somebody else that are interested in this area, invite them. Uh, and if, they, if, if you feel that it's not something for you, uh, I mean, you're free to leave as well. I mean, it, it's really sort of voluntary and inviting to, to everybody. And this has kind of snowballed into uh, one, we, we actually have, since since we span the globe uh, as a company, uh, we, we have so many different time zones. So we need to run uh, sort of a morning meeting for the Asian part I'm on Central European time. And uh, we, we run an afternoon meeting for uh, for the Americas. And the these um, uh, the, it has been split into one more technical uh, community uh, th- that have an, an Asian and an, an America side, and then we actually have one that we run uh, on a monthly basis that that uh, where, where we have invited a lot of managers that are super interested in this as well, and uh, we we will never be able to stop this now <laughs> because the community has has been growing so much. So we have very high managers joining these meetings because they are so curious about what's happening as well. And it, it's um, another another thing that I think it's a is key not to to sort of um, put people off is not to run it for so long time. I mean, I think we started out with like. Just uh, half an hour or forty-five minutes, and now it's a one-hour meeting. And if we don't have time to uh, to run it for, uh, I mean, if we have too many ideas to to cover in one hour, we push it to the next meeting uh, instead as well. So, so make it simple for for everybody to join. On those meetings, you're updating them on different projects, educating them. Is that kind of the flow? Well, I mean, no, normally it's like um, we we speak about maybe some interesting projects or technologies that we've been uh, um, either experimenting with or that we're using, or it could be a presentation of a, of a project. Uh, in some cases, it's small demonstrators as well. I mean, you, we, we show how, how um, uh, maybe a, a computer vision uh, idea is working uh, sort of within the meeting. And it's... Um, Say within the hour, you have like maybe 10 or 15 minutes. It's just to sort of keep it light. And if it becomes something that people are super interested in, I mean, break it out and run it as a separate meeting instead. So I know in the industry, we hear now a lot about upskilling Johan. You know, everybody needs to upskill towards this new digital age. We hear a lot about potential replacement of jobs but we also hear a lot about potential enrichment of jobs by getting these people to be more efficient in the work that they do and i think it swings kind of both ways i also see data scientists they're used to doing their thing um, but oftentimes now they're being asked to also play kind of a role of an educator you know they're the ones that better understand data better understand these techniques they need to do the work but they also need to educate more people now to be able to do more things and, and be more literate with data. How do you manage that upskilling, enablement, educational uh, process? Uh, actually, the, this, the, the company saw this need as well and started a, a digital skills program where, where upskilling is something that that they understand that everybody needs uh, and it doesn't matter where you work i mean e- if you're working on a on a production line 
or if you're working within uh, finance or uh, as an engineer in, in some team or, or research, it, it, I mean, everybody are invited to to take these trainings. And then the, uh, I mean, we, we were actively involved in, in uh, developing these programs as well. It was... Um, uh, mainly online-based things, so people can run it on, on their spare time, so they don't need to sort of uh, uh, sort of catch specific lectures and so on. Uh, but w- we had different levels as well. So even uh, say, say that you're working on a on a production line. I mean, you you maybe you don't even touch a computer at all. You you're sort of manufacturing some components or some products. Uh, yeah, then then you will be uh, invited to take the, the basic training just to get a better understanding of what is artificial intelligence and uh, to kind of make people feel a little bit more at ease so they're not afraid of this uh, upcoming technology. Uh, and also ma- making sure that that people actually stay because it's... I mean, for me anyway, it's something that I'm I'm continuously pushing hard for as well. Is to make sure that the, the subject matter experts that that work on these lines and have knowledge maybe from uh, ten, twenty, even thirty years of of doing something. I mean, they have skills that you will never be able to find again. And if if you give them AI tools, it might sort of speed things up, or it might take. Um, uh, monotonous work out of the equation, but uh, when something happens, or uh, th- then they will be able to sort of um, lean back on their ex- expert skills and say that, hmm, well, actually, they, this is going bad. The the system doesn't pick this up, or uh, yeah, they, we actually got an error code. Perfect. I mean, it, it's according to my knowledge as well. So you will actually have these uh, ex- extra layer of of knowledge to to make things run even smoother with the with the ai but um, i think there is an obvious risk that uh, that p- people sort of over trust the the technology and and maybe sometimes even get rid of people that have a lot of really really valuable skills that uh, th- that in combination with AI would be like a almost like a <laughs> super super operator for for a specific role uh, instead of just sort of leaning on on AI and think that it can solve everything. I mean, I think the the um, the combination is really what uh, what what's the <laughs> the yeah the powerful part here. Yeah. And it comes to to expectations management as well. I think. I mean, earlier in the season, Johan, we had the uh, the head of of motor reporting for the Financial Times, and he sort of somewhat admitted, you know, I think some of this hype is obviously developed by my colleagues or developed by media and, and news agencies, uh, and and trying to sort the fact from the fiction is is a really big thing when deploying something as talked about as artificial intelligence amongst very traditional industries and very traditional departments and processes. Um, how do you set those expectations within the companies you work with? A good, good question. I actually listened on, uh, on a, a sort of a Swedish podcast that were, were um, uh, sort of a really skilled guy tried to sort of push 
people ahead on on learning ChatGPT and, and how it works with the large language models. And he had a really good saying that I think sort of captures it. And it's like to to work with ChatGPT, it's like having a friend that has thirty doctor's degrees, but he lies a lot. And so the the whole the whole key here is to to sort of if if you have uh, knowledge within an area, I mean, knock yourself out. Use ChatGPT or, or any large language models as much as possible, but, but make sure that you you check the uh, the facts as well. But if you don't have uh, knowledge within an area and, and you ask ask it for specific uh, knowledge. I mean, you must be very, very certain of that. I mean, to to double check the the material that that you get in in some way. Uh, so, I mean, setting expectations is really sort of uh, making people understand what what, is, what works and what doesn't work. I mean, to make people aware of like hallucinations and all these um, sort of strange side effects. And I think that the whole sort of hallucination effect will will sort of uh, fade away pretty quickly with the upcoming next versions of everything but but still i mean some um, some skepticism against the stuff that that it spits out because it's i mean to me i'm not a native english speaker so everything looks super perfect when it comes to to the language side but if it's a right out lie it it doesn't really help you and to i guess educate yourself enough that you know the right questions to ask is yeah. often something um another thing i think to to set expectations is often a time frame for success so you're in strategy Johan, at accurate consulting you're working with very big companies you're working with smaller companies is there a time frame of success? You have to balance short-term success with long-term achievement. How do you do that strategically for a company with such a transversal technology? That's a really good question. Um, I, I think it, in some case, it filters back into what, 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 what kind of data do you have? What kind of problems do you want to solve as well? I mean, in some cases, you can get really good results in, in a very short time. And in some cases, you need many months or years of very good quality data in order to to get results. And with within the the this automotive company that I'm working in right now, we have a, a really broad spectrum of ideas that could be solved in a very short time, and some ideas that that are extremely hard or uh, I mean, currently very more or less impossible <laughs> to solve. Uh, because of the the lack of of data as well, so I think it's um, yeah. I guess you have to sort of flip around the question and see what 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 are you looking for? What what kind of results are you looking for? I mean, is it an okay or not okay for a component? It might be easier to solve, or is it we would like to have um, uh, sort of a very exact forecasts for for uh, order figures uh, for for the next two years, so it it varies so much. So it's it's hard to say a specific number. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and probably a mix. Probably having a mix of short term wins and longer term yeah strategic objectives. Um, you mentioned a couple of challenges there, more external challenges around the economy, increasingly now around the supply chain. Mm. 
but there's often challenges around internal, of course, as well, and data. You mentioned you have a lot of history in GDPR, Johan, and now we have this AI Ethics or AI Act coming out in Europe. Yeah. Can you firstly tell us about the success, if you think it was a success, of GDPR, and what can we learn from that regulation to bring us to this new area for regulation? Um, another good question. There. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, GDPR... Um, it, I mean, if you look at the regulation, it, it's definitely a, like a result of, of, uh, uh, of lawyers and legal persons, compliance people that, that have written the rule set. So the, the intent is really good, but it's very hard to, to sort of fulfill everything. Going back to my current role within this, this uh, automotive company, I mean, I personally analyze all the incoming ideas that that we get from all around uh, the the company to to make sure that we, if we are processing uh, personal information, it's done within the GDPR frame. And if we have any gray zones, we have direct connections to the uh, to the compliance side uh, as well. So, I think to that that's maybe something that's easy to forget when when you work with artificial intelligence that. So so much information is classified as personal information, uh, and in in some cases it's very hard to to figure out well, well how does the the systems use this this raw data that you feed into the system as well. But I, I think you need to to carefully consider all all the um, the risk aspects and also make sure that you document your thinking. So if the data protection authorities come knocking on your door, I mean, you should have good information so, so you can um, show them how, how, you have, how have you been reasoning and, and uh, what, why is it okay according to you, depending on the application. And so the GDPR is, is, uh, is doable. The Artificial Intelligence Act goes along these lines as well. So it's it's yet another product of um, of um, uh, sort of lawyers and regulation persons. Uh, and the I, th- I think a lot of the base ideas are are good, uh, but when it comes to these high risk systems, according to the the current drafts of Artificial Intelligence Act, it's it's very very hard to show exactly how did the AI system come to this conclusion based on the input that you have. For smaller systems, it could be easy, but if it is um, sort of an AI system using large language models where you have billions of uh, parameters, it's it's impossible actually to show exactly how the the conclusion had been made or why did it come to this result based on the input. So the the only thing you can do there is, I guess, to to have very good documentation of of the training sets. I mean, how what, what kind of in data did you, did you did you actually train the system with? I mean, uh, and also, um, how did you test the system as well? But I, I think it's as it is right now. I, I think it's super hard actually to to be totally compliant with the with the AI Act. Yeah. Um, and who, who does that fall on in terms of responsibility to comply? Do you think it falls on the data scientists building models? Does it fall on ethicists or, or 
legal lawyers within companies? Does it fall on the lines of business? The uh, requirement uh, to to follow the the regulation is actually split in between the producer of the system and the uh, and the user of the system. So how how the system is built technically and also I mean the base training is one part of the fulfilling the regulation and then you as a user or the the company as a user of the system uh, is also responsible uh, for for how how you um, adhere to the to the artificial intelligence act so that that makes things even more complicated um, and according to the ai act you should also be uh, be able to prove how the system performs uh, in a sandbox and i have no idea how how that will take place it's something that sounds really good on on paper it's almost uh, hopeless uh, from a technology uh, technology side to to make work but uh, yeah it's it's interesting i mean the 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 regulation to protect people uh, i can understand that part for sure but it's also said that uh, ai act will will help innovation within the european union but i'm i can't really see how uh, how it helps innovation at the moment uh, i mean it's it's more um, a headache than than help yeah. and is like gdpr took so long to actually come into force uh, yeah. and ai act isn't even let's say official or released just yet but is that something that is impacting your work on a day-to-day basis is that something that similar center of excellences and other companies should be absolutely focusing on now or is it something yeah we'll think about in 2025 no, I've actually started this work together with the compliance people and the legal people and the the risk managers within this company already in order to to build a process. So incoming ideas, we we look at them and if we see that something is might be considered to be a high risk system, we will. I mean the the. The process is not set yet, but the the start the work has started. So we the the idea is to have a, a sort of a set process so we can actually get an okay or documentation or or uh, an understanding from the compliance side as well. So um, because uh, according to the AI Act, all the high risk systems should be documented by the company, and I guess this falls on the the classical regulation and compliance side uh, to do this. So. So I think that in in order not to create the the uh, GDPR panic one more time within with the Artificial Intelligence Act, I think you should start now. Actually, it's um, it's really good. And then they say that you you have like somewhere in between uh, eighteen uh, to thirty six month uh, grace period uh, to implement the the regulation. But since since it's such a complex regulation and and also i think that it's really really important to involve both people understanding the technology and also understanding the regulation side within the same team so it's a yet another sort of um, mixed team when it comes to uh, skill sets uh, as well because if you only have tech persons i mean you will not understand the the compliance side and if you only have compliance persons they will just read the regulation and 
and think that, well, it's just so run it through a sandbox, whatever that means. <laughs> so it's, yeah. uh, it's hard. Yeah. yeah, again, I know we speak a lot and, and a term that's used a lot is data democratization or data analytics democratization. And that's about democratization of data analytics from center of excellences to, let's say, the spokes and to the business units. But we need to start democratizing data literacy, let's say, at least to, to compliance people, right? Because, yeah, it's really difficult, even for me, who I, I've worked in this space for many years. When I read this, it's quite, quite complex. And if it comes down to legal and compliance people to have to make these decisions, we need a lot of education on, on, on their behalf as well. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, whenever I have the chance, I encourage everybody to, to like play with chat GPT, uh, for instance, just to, to get a better understanding of how, how, well, I mean, what can you do with the technology and, and so on? And, if you can get the compliance persons to, to do this, they might sort of get to the next level of understanding as well and, and, and see what, what fantastic possibilities you have with, this, uh, with these tools and also maybe start figuring out that, well, it's probably not as easy as it was written in the regulation. So lots of challenges, Johan. But if we went yeah. earlier in the conversation, lots of, lots of exciting opportunities and lots of good learnings in terms of change management, leadership, AI communities. For people out there that are in a similar role to yourself, Johan, or have just been told, you got to do this role as part of your day job, you need to start to build an AI community. Is there, you know, one single or two single pieces of advice that you would give them? In order to to make AI work within an organization, I, I think it's it's very important to to create uh, guidelines um, to to make people understand how how does this system work and also what what does it do with my information. If you take uh, ChatGPT as an example, uh, the the open version of ChatGPT is training on the data that you you feed it with, so you can't feed company internal or, or company secret information uh, to chat GPT because that will, uh, I mean, the, the system will, will use it to train on your data and, and that, that, I mean, that's leaking information that should not be outside your company at all. Um, so think really, really hard on, on information security and make it super clear to everybody how, how this works. But uh, on the other hand, uh, experiment experiment and encourage people to do experimentation but with this sort of guideline in the back of their mind i mean what maybe you can ask questions uh, in a different way in order to get good answers but but don't reveal any internal information um also um if you're more of a sort of a tech hub or, or a cto or or working within a, some sort of innovation team i mean Try to collect ideas and, and build simple demonstrators as well. It's it's both super fun and rewarding. And if you can build something that's not not only uh, some some nice PowerPoint slides, but actually running code or or some uh, some small example or or I mean, it doesn't need to be anything super fancy, but it's something else than only uh, a couple of static slides. It, it will definitely trigger a lot of ideas out there as well. Uh, 
and also of course keep an eye on the development of regulations even though it sounds horribly boring it's even more boring with the sanctions that you might get hit with it's actually i mean for ai act it's actually worse uh, than gdpr when it comes to maximum uh, number of of euros that you can get hit with so it's a lot it's a lot yeah and when we think about metrics for the success of ai we always think about return on investment but we now need to just start thinking about the other way around as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, last question, Johan. All of these, all of this information, all of these exciting topics, what is yeah, the one thing that excites you most about the future of artificial intelligence, future of data science within industry? I think that the, I mean, what, what I actually try to dig into um, more and more now is the development of large language models and actually the it feels like the the next uh, next level of, of ai and and machine learning i mean up up to actually up up to the year break uh, 2022 2023 it it was more sort of um, classical uh, statistics and, and building models by hand that uh, that i mean you can get fantastic results by doing that but with the release of ChatGPT and now Bard and Bing Chat and and also the GPT for All uh, open source project that you can run uh, locally on your machine without any internet access, uh, that that will actually take the take um, take it to the next level. So I think that we will see a lot of uh, data analysis more. With sort of less prepared systems, I mean, you, you you can sort of feed it an image and say, "What's wrong with this one?" We've done, we've been doing some some testing within these automotive companies of sending it like uh, photos of uh, people running forklifts uh, within a warehouse, for instance, and ask what well, what's the potential security problems with this image. Uh, and the, it, this was a blank system. It did, didn't have any any pre, prior training at all. And I got got a, a sort of a message back saying that well, the the guy uh, driving the forklift is not wearing a helmet. Uh, that guy is missing a reflective jacket. Uh, it might be dangerous to go around this corner and so on. So I mean, things like this could be super interesting to to see like multimodal systems of analyzing both text and, and images um, also unprepared data sets and trying to find interesting correlations just by asking the system so it could be more sort of an, an digital assistant but of of course uh, I mean check your sources as well I mean don't don't rely blindly on this but I think that the coming versions will will provide even more stable results so, so it could be a very interesting uh, area and also for for uh, um, building systems that that everybody could use i mean even if you're not, not a programmer or, or a data scientist maybe you can just sort of feed it an excel sheet and say fix this for me or help me improve this and maybe you can get nice results back as well so yeah, that's uh, sounds um, utopian. Sounds yeah. <laughs> utopian. Sounds exciting. Exactly. We have to wait two weeks before we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of fun things for the AI community to be learning. Thanks to you and the team, Johan. <laughs> Thank you.
Thanks for joining. Now next on the show, we'll have Sandeep Gupta, Manager of Connected Business at Subaru Canada.